here this morning. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number four. And if you're just joining with us, we've been uh, going through the book of Ephesians and the truths that uh, God's word lays out for us, how we are supposed to live uh, within the body of Christ is really what we've been focusing in here on Ephesians chapter number four. And uh, we've been kind of looking primarily at some list of sins that Paul has been laying out for uh, the believers here at Ephesus and how these sins really they disrupt the the unity of the body of Christ and this morning we're going to look at another one and we're going to look at two verses verses 31 and 32 and uh, this sin that we're going to look at here this morning is about our temper or, or how we how we use our temper or how uh, anger uh, sometimes really uh, can control us and um, I believe that uncontrolled tempers are a major issue in today's society. I mean, they're huge, huge. We frequently read about uh, road rage, uh, people uh, getting so angry at the other person that they would uh, then in turn pull out a gun and, and shoot that person. Uh, we hear about people fighting over parking spaces, you know, because they didn't get the, the one that they wanted. And I mean, fights ensue. Um, there's numerous news articles with examples of, of parents who watch their children's sports activities and erupt in anger, uh, whether it's against another parent or even against a, another coach. Um, here's just a couple of them. One father beat another father to death after a youth hockey practice. Practice. Um, another dad clubbed his daughter's high school softball coach repeatedly in the head and body with an aluminum bat because the coach had suspended the girl for missing a game to attend the prom. I mean, this is serious stuff. Anger is, anger is a very serious problem uh, that uh, our society has in there. And you know, I think the uh, inclination that most of us think is, well, you know, that's, that's the world. You know, that's, that's what the world does. But we would be very naive to think that Christians do not struggle with anger. Because we do. Angry people often split churches, usually under the uh, pretense or the guise of, of trying to be doctrinally pure. Christian homes are often torn apart by anger. Uh, an angry spouse uh, trying to... Uh, uh, put his or her demands upon a marriage or the children. So as we look at our verse here in just a little bit, uh, don't make the mistake of, well, you know, well, we're just human. That's just what we are. That's just what we do. Um, because the Bible calls anger sin. And as a Christian, we can fall into that sin of anger. And we can't tolerate just a little bit of it because, uh, as we'll see here in just a moment in these verses, Paul's going to tell us that we need to put it away, put all anger away. Don't even allow a little bit of it in your life, but to put it all away. And, you know, I believe the, the distinguishing mark of anger is usually, is usually selfishness. I want things my way. Or you did this to me. You are attacking me. Things did not go my way. 
Uh, we spent a, a few weeks back, uh, we looked at that other verse about, um, you know, be angry but do not sin. The difference between uh, sinful anger and righteous anger. But uh, I think this sinful anger is usually rooted in uh, selfishness of I want my own way or I want my own kingdom or I want my own ways and you're not allowing me to have that. So let's examine these uh, two verses here, verses 31 and 32. And we're going to see three points. First of all, we're going to see Paul giving us six words about putting away sinful anger. He's going to describe anger for us in six words. And he's going to say, put these away. Then secondly, Paul's going to say, this is what you're supposed to do now to replace that sinful anger is you're supposed to replace it. He's going to give you three words. And then he's going to give us the overall reason why we should not be angry people as Christians. And so this is be a new behavior that we should uh, strive to put in our lives as believers in Christ. So let's take a look here at uh, this verse, Ephesians 4.31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now notice that word all. Paul uses it two times in this verse. He uses it at the beginning. He says, let all bitterness. And then he uses it at the end. He says, with all malice. Paul is really trying to give some emphasis here about anger, about our tempers. And he's saying, get rid of all of it. Not just a little bit of it. Don't just allow a little bit of anger left in your life. He says, get rid of all of it. Because just getting rid of a little bit of it isn't good enough. Paul says we must put away all of it. And he's going to use six words here to describe our sinful anger. And by piling up all these words, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, by him piling them all up here, Paul is basically slamming the door shut and he's saying that do not use any excuse for sinful anger. He says, get rid of all of these things. He's saying, this is the way anger puts itself forth. He says, it comes in bitterness, it comes in wrath, it comes in anger and clamor and slander and malice. He says, get rid of all of these things. Don't allow any of these things to be in your life. He's saying that if you have been created a new man in Christ, in righteousness and holiness, you are supposed to get rid of all of sinful anger. You know, sometimes we wonder why people get angry. Paul really doesn't address that here. He just says, put it away. Get rid of it out of your life. Stop sinning. Put away all anger as you would cast off dirty clothes. Uh, probably, what was it, uh, maybe a week or two weeks ago, somewhere around there. I was over there helping uh, Kim... Uh, get the water lines put back together at uh, Ryan and uh, Joyce's uh, house. And uh, boy, we were doing all kinds of stuff, doing acrobatics, trying to reach lines and crawl under houses and everything. And boy, I went home and I had some dirty clothes. And you know the first thing that I did? I sat on my wife's couch. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. <laughs> 
I cast off those dirty clothes, right? And Paul says, get rid of anger. Cast it off. Get rid of it. Don't allow it to be part of your life. Now remember here within these verses, this context of this passage here in Ephesians 4. You see, we don't put away sinful anger by human willpower. There are people that go to anger management courses and, and they may learn how to deal with anger. But really, you cannot put away sinful anger unless you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gives you the power to change. And that's why Paul talks about this here in Ephesians 4. He says, if you have been transformed by the gospel, if your life has been radically changed by Christ, he says, you are a new creature. He says, you can put all these things away. He says, put off the old man, put, renew your mind, and then put on the new man, which is created after Christ Jesus in righteousness and in true holiness. And so the new birth really is the foundation of changing our sinful anger. You must be a believer in Jesus Christ. And so that's why if you don't know Christ, you can't put away sinful anger. So if you're a follower of Jesus... You have the ability to change. You have the power to change. You can't use the excuse, well, people just push my buttons, or, well, you know, that's just the way I am, because God's word says you can change. You don't have to live in a life of sinful anger anymore. So when we examine here the, the scriptures, especially throughout God's word, we see that Anger really is a heart issue. Jesus said in, uh, in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, he says, For within, out of the human heart, come evil ideas, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil deceit, debauchery, envy, slander, Pride and folly, all these evils come from within and defile a person. And so since anger is a heart issue, it must be dealt with the heart. So we have to deal with it on a heart level. And so the instant you, you begin to feel angry, I had uh, one of these uh, experience with this just a couple days ago. Um, we told Evelyn, we said, okay, Evelyn, uh, we're going to read a book. Go get the book. She wanted to read The Hungry Caterpillar. Okay, go get The Hungry Caterpillar. And you know what she did? She didn't go get the book. Instead, she jumped on the bed. She ran around the room. She fell on the floor. She started singing a song. And we say, better go get the book. Better go get the book. Better go get the book. She didn't go get the book. So I said, okay, we're going to bed. I want a book, I want a book, I want a book, I want a book. I said, no, you didn't get the book. We're going to go to bed. And so then she began to display an angry attitude. <laughs> I want the book, I want the book. On and on and on and on and on and on and on. It kept going, kept going, kept going. Spanking after spanking after spanking after spanking. Boy, finally she decided to go to sleep. But then she woke up about an hour later. I want a book. I want a book. I want a book. 
And boy, that really started to just get at me. And she was screaming, screaming. And in a sinful response, I screamed as well. Was that the right way to handle it? No, it wasn't. Let me ask you a question. How we respond to anger really shows what we believe, what we know to be true about God. Do you believe that God is in control? Do you believe that? So you believe that he's sovereign, that, he's, that he is control of everything, every situation that comes into our life. So then in the situations that God allows in our life, the brakes went out, I hit my thumb with a hammer, the children aren't listening, my wife did this, my husband did that. All of the things that God allows to come into our life are for a reason. And how we respond in those situations really show what we believe about God. And so if God is in control of every situation, when there is a situation that presents itself and we have the temptation to get angry... We're really expressing this anger towards God. Because if we believe that he's sovereign, we believe that he's in control, we're being angry at God. Paul here in our text is going to show us how to respond in a godly way instead of using a sinful way of these words here. So let's examine these words here really quickly about uh, what God says about uh, putting all of these things away. So if you want to have a transformed temper, number one, put all of these away. Here they are. First of all, bitterness. Now I want you to notice the progression that Paul is going to use here within this, within this, uh, these words. He's going to move from a resentful inner attitude Okay, inward, and then it's going to come out. So it's going to begin with inside bitterness, and then finally it's going to move all the way through to malice. Okay, so he starts here with this bitterness. Now, bitterness develops over time because as you nurse your anger, as you continue to bring things back up, maybe how a person hurts you or how a person said something to you or how you didn't get your way or how the situation didn't go the way that you thought it should have went and you constantly bring that up, you're driving down the road and you, know, you start thinking about the person, you start thinking about the situation. What you're doing is you are nursing your anger. You're allowing that bitterness to keep coming up inwardly. You see, sometimes we play the situation over and over and over and over in our minds. And all, that doing, all that's doing is just, it's literally like pouring poison into your body. It's bitterness. Bitter people often keep score. Counseling with a, with a couple, um, talking with them and, and trying to help them and encourage them. Um, the husband 
was sending me lists of things that his wife was doing wrong. List. Everything that she was doing wrong. He's a very bitter person. And so bitter people keep score. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no one be like a that no one be like a bitter root springing up and causing trouble, and through it may become defiled. You see, your bitterness will defile others, people around you, because you're so bitter. It just rubs off because you're so angry. You're nursing your anger inwardly, and so Paul says you got to put this away. Put all bitterness away. Don't allow it to be a part of your life. One way that uh, the, the root of bitterness, uh, uh, one way that we can deal with bitterness in our heart is when that situation may come up, instead of thinking about it, what you should be doing is you should be praying about the situation instead. Look at this other word here. He uses this word wrath, or uh, the NIV translates it rage. Um, it comes from a word meaning to boil. It refers to outburst of anger when someone boils over. You know, you got a pot on the stove and you're cooking, you know, whatever, and it's, you know, it erupts. Paul says, put away wrath, put away rage, put away this thing of I just have to boil over. I can't control my emotions. No, if you are in Christ, you can because Paul says you've been made into a new person in Christ Jesus. Then he uses this word, anger. Now this is the same word that Paul used to refer to uh, righteous anger in uh, verse number 26. And it's the same word that is used of God's wrath uh, when his hatred of, of, of sin and opposition to sin. Uh, he's, he's very angry at sin. And so wrath and anger are usually synonyms, and, and wrath is the sudden outburst of temper, whereas anger refers to a more settled attitude, often with the purpose of revenge. I want to get even. I want to settle the score. Paul says, put it away. Then he uses this word, clamor. Now, clamor refers to loud, angry words where people are screaming at each other. That's, the, that's exactly what uh, I did a couple days ago with, uh, with Evelyn. She was screaming, and in sinful anger, what did I do? I responded back, screaming. Doesn't solve the issue. Doesn't help the problem. It usually includes cursing and calling someone abusive names. And the only time that you should ever yell at your mate or yell at your children is if there is impending doom or danger. But you should never use anger in a sinful way against uh, a mate or children or even another uh, person. Then he uses this word, slander. Now, this same word is also used to mean blasphemy against God. But here it refers to speaking evil about someone to someone else who has no need to hear it. Boy, we do this so, so much. Well, I'm guilty of this. 
where we began to talk to, to people and because we were hurt in a certain situation, we then began to slander that other person when that person has no need to know what, what was going on. And we, we talk about it and what we try to do is we try to tilt, the, tilt it in our favor Make it look like, boy, that person, whoa, he did that to you? Whoa. What is that? That's slander. Paul says, put away this slander. This is all part of, of, of anger. Often we sometimes uh, will stretch the truth to make it look better in our favor. Paul says, put it away. Then he says this word, malice. This is the last one, malice. Malice is a general term for wickedness or ill will towards another person. It is the desire to harm the person. See, remember how it started inwardly? Now it's moved all the way where you have a desire to actually hurt somebody. That's where Jesus said, where does, where does murder come from? It comes from the heart comes from within. Can you do me a favor? Look at the person sitting next to you. If you're not sitting next to anybody, turn around, look at the person next to you. <laughs> you know what you are? You're a murderer in the heart. God says all these things come from within. And so this, this idea of malice, it's the desire to harm the person either emotionally or sometimes even physically. When coupled with slander, the intent is to harm the person's reputation or his relationships with others by smearing him. You know, I think we're seeing that right now since the elections are coming up. What are you, what are you seeing right now? What is it called? The smear Smear campaign, right? You turn on the radio, that's all you hear. Did you know that so-and-so did this? Did you know? Well, he... <laughs> you get the little paper in the mail. It's all a smear campaign. So Paul commands us to remove all six of these sinful attitudes and actions. And he says all of these things characterize unbelievers. This is how you used to live. But if you know Christ as your Savior, you're not supposed to live that way anymore. You've been changed. The gospel of Christ has changed you. And now we are supposed to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So he says, put away all these things. Look at the second thing here. So the pattern is, if we want real, true, biblical change, we put off the old man, we renew our minds... And then we put on the new man, which is created after Christ Jesus in true holiness and righteousness. Look what he says in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. When is a door not a door? And it's a jar. When is a thief no longer a thief? When he's something different, when he's something else. When is a person who has malice and bitterness and anger and slander and clamor, and wrath and rage, when, they are, when, when are they no longer that? When they just stop doing that? No. When they are something different. 
And this is the something different. So exchange the old habits for the new habits. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Notice that word be. That's, that word is so important. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That word be means to become, to become kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. This is an ongoing process. It, it means that you are, you are fighting against sinful anger and you are becoming tender-hearted. You are becoming kind. You are becoming one who forgives one another. You see, the process begins when you face up to your bitterness and anger as sin and confess it to God, asking for his forgiveness. You should choose to accept responsibility for your sin. It's not a, oh, well, that's just, my dad was like that, so, you know, I just inherited it. Yeah, you did. It's called a sin nature. You inherited a sin nature. You're sinful. So we need to accept the responsibility for our sin rather than to blame others. So let's look at these words here that we're supposed to exchange it for. Look what he says. First of all, replace anger with kindness. We learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4, that love is kind. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. A kind person is not harsh or sharp with others. He allows others room to offend or make mistakes without becoming offended and crawling all over them. God himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men in Luke chapter 6 verse 35. And we learn in Romans chapter 2 verse number 4 that his kindness leads us to repentance. So replace anger with kindness. Then he says this, replace anger with tender heartedness. The NIV translates this as compassionate. And it's used in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 9. He says, to sum up all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. It's interesting to note that this word tenderheartedness or compassionate is a word that has to deal with somebody's bowels. The very, the very inside of us, the, the very seat of our emotions. Paul says it's to, to be tenderhearted means to have gut feelings for one another. It means to be having genuine concern for another person's well-being. So if you want to change biblically, you need to have tenderheartedness compassion towards those that offend you, that do things wrong to you, that just really get on your nerves, you need to be compassionate towards them. Then he says this, replace anger with forgiveness. Instead of holding a grudge that develops into bitterness, what are we supposed to do? We are to forgive those who have wronged us. 
The point here that Paul is trying to make here is undeserved favor. Because he says, for God in Christ has forgiven you. It implies that the other person has truly wronged us. And to forgive somebody, it means to to show grace to the other person, even though they may have caused pain and hurt in your life. Paul says the believer in Christ, the transformed person in Christ, is supposed to live this way, to forgive If you put it on file and bring it up every time, that's really not forgiveness. If it doesn't cost you anything to grant it, it's not forgiveness. Next week, we're really going to dig into that uh, verse there about forgiveness and uh, really see what, how the gospel really ties into that. But, so if you want to have a transformed temper... Put off these six things, then you're supposed to replace them with these new habits, kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Now, here's the last thing. Why we need to change. Boy, this is so important. Ephesians 4.32 again. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do you know why you should forgive other people? What the main reason should be? because of the gospel. When you become captivated by what the gospel is, that the gospel changed you, that you are a wicked sinner against God under his judgment, under his wrath, and yet he forgave you in Christ and you don't deserve it, When you become captivated by that, that should motivate you to extend forgiveness to other people, even when you think they don't deserve it. Because if you got what you deserved and I got what I deserved, we would be in hell. And when we don't get our own way, when things don't go our way, and we don't respond in gospel truth, gospel Christ-likeness in forgiving that person, basically what we're saying is saying, hey, I don't know what the Christian life really is all about. Could it maybe be that you have not yourself been transformed by Christ? So the Bible's very clear that we need to forgive others just as God in Christ forgave you. I believe that you should begin every single day marveling at the amazing grace of God that he sent his own son to bear the wrath that you deserved. Listen to what Psalm 130 verses 3 through 4 says. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? God, if you kept count, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So if you think that you somehow earned or deserved God's forgiveness because of your good works, you don't understand the gospel. 
The fact is, each of us has wronged God's tens of thousands of times from childhood up, and yet he forgave all of your sin. All of it. So we must grant forgiveness to others, not because they deserve it, but rather because we have been shown grace as well. You might say, but you don't know what they did. Doesn't matter. Forgive. You don't know how they hurt me. Forgive. You don't know what they said. Forgive. Because that is true gospel transformation. Now, if you'd like some help with this, I have some, uh, some, uh, some stuff here that you can take with you. Maybe to help identify some, some anger, hot button list of things and how to deal with them biblically. Okay? These will be available up here um, if you want them. But the emphasis here is if you've been changed and transformed, live it, live it. As uh, we read uh, there, it says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but actually be a doer of the word. That's so important. Let's pray together.